0: This is the Puck Poolies Podcast with Matt Larkin and Stephen Ellis.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to Puck Poolies. It's Matt Larkin here with Stephen Ellis talking fantasy hockey as always. Hard to believe we are at episode 31. I can't even picture us doing this 30 times already, but apparently we have. Stephen, how are you doing, my friend? And and I wanted to ask you, how many hockey games have you seen this year before it's even October 1st?
0: I I was doing my, the math last night when I was at the Leafs uh, Senators preseason game. I think I'm actually at 12. Uh, and that's going to be going up quite a bit this weekend with the start of the OHL season coming back. I'm looking forward to that. And I, I was very tempted to go to Buffalo again later this week for the OJHL Governor's Showcase. And if I if we count all those as individual games, that could have been an extra, like, 25. I'm not going to count those, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's good to be going back. And, and you, you haven't been in a rink in a while, but I'm guessing you kind of want to be.
1: <laughs> well, I, I've i been in a practice rink. I have been in the Toronto Maple Leafs practice rink. But I am admittedly like this is just a thing. And I always feel bad saying this as a hockey reporter. I sound unappreciative, but I'm a preseason snob. I just – it really bores me, and I don't like going to preseason games. I just – I have to admit it. It just – the stakes are too low, and there's such a long grind of six months of hockey ahead, six, seven months, seven months? No, it's more than that. It's eight months. It's eight months of the NHL season yep. ahead, right? So I I just can't do it. I just can't do the preseason. I, I,
0: I don't blame you. And looking at the crowd last night, 14,000 people, you know, tickets are pretty cheap, so I get it, but... The one thing is I love this is my time to see these guys you won't see again in a jersey. And for someone who cares about hockey photography, it's the one time we might get a picture of one of these guys playing in their jerseys, which is really nice. Although with all due respect to Ottawa and all due respect to Montreal, who because again, Toronto's our local team here, those mm-hmm. teams playing Montreal are play the Leafs like a combined like 33 times in the play or the preseason. I've already seen their prospects a thousand times uh, at the prospect showcase. I'm okay, literally, not seeing some of those guys again. No again, all due respect to Zach Gustavchuk, I want to see some new players now. Mm-hmm. But
1: Stephen Ellis, everybody, Jack of all trades. He takes lots of photos, and they're in our database when we're writing
0: articles. There are just tons of photos that were just snapped by oh, Stephen. He was my, my, I took a picture of Brock Caulfield um, and I posted it on Twitter and it was like one of the biggest tweets I've ever had and the Steve Dangle podcast did the first like 20 minutes talking about it like it was kind of funny it was just like people like it's it's good to have those pictures if you ever need them because there's been a lot of times where like oh this random nobody just signed we need a picture it's like I have it he played one game with the Rockford IceHogs last year when they came up here and I saw it.
1: That's right that's, that's your <laughs> trademark my friend so Okay, so we're obviously still in fantasy draft prep season. Uh, I'm in the middle of doing an expert league draft right now. It's a slow draft. You can find my recaps of each round uh, on Daily Faceoff. There's rounds one to three are on there right now. Um, my main draft is not until next week, but we know it's draft prep season, so we're going to continue with some special segments that are geared toward helping you make those picks. So what do we have to start the show,
0: Stephen? Well, this is going to be a goalie-focused episode, and I love it because goalies are my favorite position, and uh, I think I value goalies a lot more in fantasy hockey than the average person, and partly because they really helped me win my league last year. But let's start with the elite goalies, the best of the best, the guys that if everything goes right should be challenging for the best net trophy.
1: Yes, that's a great way to put it. So these are tiered rankings. I wanted to just give you an idea of... The reason why tiers are important because they can help you make a decision when you are trying to decide whether to pick a player and if there are several players left in this tier, you can probably wait until your next turn in the draft. But if you see a notable drop off after this pick, okay, there's only one guy left in this tier. That's when you know it's time to pounce. So tier one, the elite, Ilya Sorokin, Jake Ottinger, Andre Vasilevsky, Igor Shosturkin. To me, These goaltenders, these four, they check all the boxes. You know you're going to get great rate stats from them. They're going to get great volume, too. They are all in their primes, and they're on playoff teams that are legitimate contenders or at least want to be legitimate contenders. So you get a little bit of everything, and I'd say each of those guys has a floor of 30 wins and maybe a 915 save
0: percentage. So these are the best of the best, and they are all major Vezina Trophy contenders. Yeah, so... When you got Ilya Sorokin, you got Jay Conjure, you got Vasilevsky, you got Chesterkin. Like, you can't go wrong with those goalies. Not at all. Not at all. Exactly.
1: They're, they're just the, the true bell cows, the true studs. They're guys that could be worth as much as a first-round value in terms of a skater. The only problem is, you never know which, year, which goaltender is going to be the one who returns first-round value, so that's why you can't necessarily pick them in the first round, but I think in the second round, I would give my blessing to pick any of those four. So, the next tier we have is I call this the excellent number ones. If you have one of these as your starting goaltender, your number one, you're still in great shape. I think each of these goalies, they're good enough to still win the Vezina Trophy if everything breaks their way. So that's Connor Hellebuck, Alexander Georgiev, Linus Olmark, UC Saros, Thatcher Demko. So I consider all these goaltenders to have a ton of upside, probably as much upside as the goalies in the tier above. But I'd say each one of these guys has One question mark. So if it's Saros and Hellebuck, are they going to get you enough wins on teams that are kind of headed downward? Linus Ulmark, Alexander Georgiev, can they do it again? They came out of nowhere for monster Mm -hmm. seasons last year, but are we confident they can repeat it? Thatcher Demko, can he stay healthy? So all these goaltenders are great. I think you're fine if they're your number one, but they're a tier down from the top because they do have that one question mark
0: for each guy. I like that one. All right, uh, going to the low end goal number ones. These are guys that you know, you got a Stanley Cup champion in here. You've got uh, a guy who was a great rookie last year. You got someone who's very good if he could stay healthy, and you got someone who needs to bounce back in a big way.
1: Yeah. So the low end G1s, I have Darcy Kemper, Stuart Skinner, Tristan Jari, and Jacob Markstrom. So depending on your league configuration, there might be some goalies in the next tier down that you rank higher. But if you're looking for volume, I like all four of these goalies to play a lot. And at the same time, I think it's a shaky situation if you're relying on any of these guys as your number one because they have some warts to worry about. Darcy Kemper playing on a Capitals team that's going in the wrong direction. Stuart Skinner pulled four times in the playoffs. He still has to Mm -hmm. fight off Jack Campbell in Edmonton. Tristan Jari is always hurt. Jacob Markstrom is coming off a bad season. At the same time, I think any of these guys can end up in the top ten fantasy-wise this year because they have track records of previous success. Not so much Skinner, but he was good last year for the most part and I think they're all going to play enough. They're going to be starting minimum 50 games apiece. So the volume will be there. I think if any of these guys are your number two, you're in great shape. Number one, yeah, you better get a good number two to pair with them.
0: Yep. it will be interesting, I think, when we look back at what Darcy Kemper's um, you know, obviously he's got a few more years in his career. But we look back and you say, what is going to be his legacy? When a guy that, when he was good, he could be very good. He There were times where we're talking about him being like a very sleeper, Vesna candidate guy. But then there'd be enough years of injuries, enough year down years. You don't know what you're going to get. And again, I've, I've made a joke on Twitter once that people took too seriously. Darcy Kemper was the starting goalie at the World Championship, 28 uh no wait, yeah whatever year it was that he won the Stanley Cup or won the World Championship then wins the Stanley Cup the next year then you look at Aiden Hill he wins the World Championship wins the Stanley Cup Samuel Montembeau starting goalie <laughs> Montreal Canadians congratulations you guys have won the Stanley Cup again <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, not actually real uh this is the fourth tier rate stats but volume concerns so these are guys that could be good but might not play a ton.
1: Yes. So this tier, I actually like these goalies better than the goalies in the tier above, but most fantasy hockey configurations, they really favor volume categories like wins and shutouts. If your league configuration awards more points or weights the categories of goals against average and save percentage higher, I think I would bump up all four of these guys. So I have Philip Gustafson, Ilya Samsonov, Aiden Hill, and Frederick Anderson. So all of them are going to be very above average in at least goals against average because they all play on teams that are good defensively. Uh, I think Freddie Anderson's save percentage dipped, so maybe it's not going to be great save percentage, but you know he's going to get the goals against average. Philip Gustafson was the second best goalie in the world last year, other than Linus Allmark. Samsonov quietly was a top 10 fantasy goalie in the regular season. Aiden Hill. Has consistently had good rate stats throughout his career, and he was amazing in the playoffs. So the only problem is, I think all four of these guys have threats to their playing time. Philip Gustafson still has to share the net with Marc Andre Fleury. Ilya Samsonov has Joseph Wool breathing down his neck. Aiden Hill has to contend with Logan Thompson. Frederick Anderson has to go up against Antti Ranta and Nochick yeah. Pachecov. <laughs> so I really like what most of these goalies bring to the table, but Sorry, Steven, I just, I just had an Adobe window pop up here that blocked my ability to see the camera. Stupid Adobe. Anyways, sorry, Adobe, (laughs) I guess you're not going to be our sponsor anytime soon. Um, (laughs) But yes, so what I'm saying is I lost my train of thought for a second there, but each of these goaltenders, great rate stats. If you have a shakier number one that has high volume, you can pair them with one of these guys to help your rate stats.
0: One thing I want to say, uh, I'm a big believer in Freddie Anderson. If he stays healthy, we know what he could do. Uh, When it comes to Samson off, compared to last year where he was, you know, 1A, 1B with Matt Murray. And Matt Murray seemed to have the slight edge given kind of his career workload and everything and the salary too. Now Murray's not there. You've got Joseph Wool, who's this young guy trying to push through. But I think this is probably the best shot uh, in Samson's career to be a number one. The issue is you've got a very good number two who could take over and they signed a third goalie who admittedly looks pretty good in his first preseason game of Martin Jones, but uh, that is also a meaningless preseason game against Ottawa that sat most of their good players. So, who knows? Uh, tier 5, volume but rate stats concerns. These guys are going to play a lot but might not get you the best stats. Yeah, and, and it's funny. It's like
1: all three of these goalies in this tier, Tier 5, are on teams that are trying to make the playoffs or stay in the playoffs they all have upside to be very good fantasy goalies top 10 fantasy goalies but they all could even lose their jobs like their their range of outcomes is really wide so you have Vitek Vanacek New Jersey Devils was quite a valuable fantasy goalie he spent much of last year around the top six but then he lost his job to Akira Schmidt in the playoffs and going into the season it's going to be probably a battle between the two so Vanacek could turn you a huge profit or he could end up being a backup by the middle of the season. Sergei Bobrovsky, obviously his value is going to be inflated from that amazing playoff run, but you have to remember, before the playoffs, he was pretty bad. Lost his job to the third string, not the second string, the third stringer, Alex Lyon. You have Anthony Stolarz who's been signed. You have Spencer Knight trying to work his way back from the player assistance program. So you have competition for... Bobrovsky and he was great for three rounds he was bad in the Stanley Cup final he was bad before the playoffs the sample size of being bad was a lot bigger than being good last year for Bobrovsky so there is a risk with having him as your starting goalie and the last one I have is Yunus Korpisalo very wide range of outcomes mm-hmm. with him obviously Ottawa's paying him to be the number one so he's going to get a decent amount of runway uh, but his sample size in his career he's had quite the roller coaster He's had a lot of bad years. Obviously, some of it was because of a hip problem. He he didn't get that fixed a year ago, and it led to probably his best overall season wire-to-wire with Columbus then coming over to L.A. at the trade deadline was really good for them until the playoffs. Wasn't so good in the playoffs. But overall, with Corpus I think he sometimes dines out on the reputation of that one series he played against the Leafs, and he had one good year last year. But you really don't know what you're getting. You're going to an Ottawa team that's still working on its defensive play. So there's some downside for Korpisalo. So in each case right now, all three of these guys, they have volume on paper. They're certainly draftable, but there is as much downside as there is upside.
0: Will Bobrovsky be the starting goalie come playoff time?
1: That's the question. I, <laughs> I'm not convinced that he will. And I know that it was a, a point of frustration for the franchise throughout last year when they were struggling to get into the playoff picture early on because they were pretty unlucky statistically and they just couldn't get a save. Uh, until finally the playoffs. So, I even though Bobrovsky was so good, I don't know if that leash is as long as it might seem in Florida. And this one
0: backups with varying upside, and you're looking at I must Now, I guess you're looking at backup on your own team, correct?
1: Yes, correct. Not backups in real life, just fantasy backups. So. I feel like you want to get one of these guys to stash on your bench because they all have potential to turn you a major profit later. So this tier is Jeremy Swayman, Cam Talbot, Devin Levi, Billy Husso, and Carter Hart. Uh, To me, again, it depends on your league configuration. A lot of fantasy formats would have Jeremy Swayman far higher in the rankings because obviously if you – base your stat categories on rate stats. He's going to be worth a lot more and you don't need that volume, but he's still a timeshare goalie. He's still a guy right now who's slated for 35 starts. I'm personally always chasing volume with my goalies. So that's why I have Jeremy Swayman lower than a lot of people probably do. Uh, and I would describe the goalies in this tier. They don't have all the same characteristics. This is sort of a bargain bin of depending on what you're looking for, but all have some upside. Cam Talbot on a Kings team that looks pretty good this year. If he can hold off Phoenix Copley, That can be a really valuable goaltender on a good defensive team that you might be able to get as your third goalie. And suddenly he actually delivers top 10 value. Devin Levi, of course, we know the upside is enormous. Mm -hmm. If he can stick it, we know the team wants him to win that job. He doesn't have to win it. But if he does, we know that the Buffalo Sabres are, they sort of feel like the rocket ship team this year that's going to explode. We're going to talk about them a little more later on the show. So, of course, if you could predict, if you knew that Devin Levi was going to win the job, he's going to be massively valuable this year. Billy Husso, again, depends on your faith in Detroit's rebuild. If you think they're ready to make a surge, he's Try the that. start. So maybe he's going to be more valuable this year. I'm not personally a believer in Detroit. Doesn't look like Steven is either. I see him shaking his head. Yeah, I don't think Detroit's going to do it. But again, if you believe, then Billy Huso could return value. Carter Hart, a wild card. On John Tortorella coached teams, he doesn't get completely hung out to dry, as he showed you last year. And if Carter Hart gets traded midseason, he could land in a situation where he becomes extremely valuable. So he's someone maybe to stash on your bench. Maybe you're not going to start him during the season, but he's a a decent person to have stashed away in case his situation changes. So that's
0: tier six. That is a ton of value (laughs) that's that's sixth tier. so uh i guess we could stop talking about goalies for a little bit which is too sad because goalies are my favorite position um but let's talk about training camp and kind of everything going on the preseason you know we've had a few games uh for each team now at this point training camp's been up for just under a week now so which training camp storyline do you think is most fantasy relevant so far yeah
1: i figured let's let's each overreact to something. Obviously, not everything you see in training camp is going to matter, but there will be some actionable items. And the one I have my eye on is John Klingberg getting that PP1 spot with the Toronto Maple Leafs. That was always going to be the thing in fantasy with John Klingberg. If he gets a shot to replace Morgan Riley, it's extremely important information for fantasy. And, it, of course, yes, John Klingberg, his overall game has slipped a lot in the last couple of seasons, especially defensively. But even just if you look at the last two years, which would be considered his – decline. 88 defensemen have played 100 minutes or more on the power play. He's 13th in primary assists per 60 minutes. So he can still move the puck. He's still a very good power play quarterback. He's more of a threat with his shot than Morgan Riley is, I would argue as well. So if you have him out there with Matthews, Marner, Neil and DeTravares, that's exciting. The Leafs have been a top two power play in the NHL two years running. Yes, they've lost Spencer Carberry, the mastermind, but they still have the personnel that he helped sort of hone into a a well-oiled power play machine. So I don't think there's suddenly going to be a bad power play. They're still going to be well above average. And this is an exciting situation for Klingberg. The other actionable item is this is a big hit to Morgan Riley's fantasy value. He's someone who struggled through a lot of last season, and he's no longer much of a threat these days as a goal scorer from the point. And if he's not out there in the power play, he's going to lose a lot of points. So John Klingberg is going to jump a ton in fantasy value. If he keeps this job, Morgan Riley slides a lot.
0: I will say that, again, we're talking on one preseason game, but man, Klingberg looked bad against Ottawa on Monday night. He looked <laughs> bad. That was like bringing memories of who were number three last year, for, like, Justin <laughs> Hall. I predicted Just, that he's going to be the next Jake Gardner or Justin Hall. It's not going to be pretty on defense. You know, if, when you look at Klingberg, he, he had a lot to prove last year. He was on that one-year prove-me deal, and he, he hurt his own value <laughs> for sure. Let's see what he can do this year. For me, the, the training camp battle that I or I guess the training camp storyline that was most interesting to me, and this will not come as a shock at all, but it's who is going to play with Connor Bedard in Chicago. And it looks like Tyler Johnson is going to be the guy that they're going to be Ooh. going with. And that one's really interesting. You know, he had 32 points last year, but if you look at a full season, because he only played 56 games, we're looking at a guy who could hit 50 points last year. When it comes to the Blackhawks, they had a couple guys last year that looked probably much better than they would have been on other teams, just given the situation of that group. But Teller Johnson, you know, is is not a spring chicken anymore. He's thirty three years old. It feels like a, quite a while ago that we were talking about how good he was as a small player. He was kind of the the model, you know, five foot eight player that you really want a guy to turn into if they're that big or that small. But you know, seventy two points in 2014-15 and he's had one fifty point season since then. So it, offense has been hard to come by. But we know he's got the skill. We know he can move his legs, uh, and if he's healthy, he could still be a valuable offensive contributor. You throw him on a line of Taylor Hall and Connor Bedard, and that is maybe the best line he's ever played on in his career so this is a good chance for him to be this good guy good value guy that might not be too high in, a, in in some pools because the fact he hasn't put up a ton of points and yeah again he had 32 points last year he had seven the year before he had 22 the year before that and 31 the year before that and the issue is he hasn't hit the 70 game mark since 2018-19 so if he stays healthy we know he could put up points staying healthy is the concern But the Mm -hmm. fact that he's starting this preseason right now and starting training camp with Connor Bedard, I think has to get you pretty excited about what he could do. Yeah, I think that's a bang on assessment. And I did an
1: update of my top 300 fantasy rankings last Friday, and I did move Tyler Johnson up. He was on, on the bubble. and Now I moved him into roughly the top 275. So I think absolutely he's draftable now. I would still bid carefully. Just because of, like you said, Steven's health risks. And we just don't know how to stick on that line. But I think in a deep league, you you want to draft him with a late pick. And maybe even in a medium league, he's an early season waiver
0: ad as well. Yep. So, again, you, you tread carefully there. But I, you know, if you're in a really deep league and get the space, you could do a lot worse than guys playing with Conor Bedard. But... We'll have to see what happens there. All right. Uh, before we go into our guest, it is time for the tip of the week, and you are going with going best available. Depends on how active your league is. Now, this is interesting because I have no idea what you're going to say. Yeah,
1: for sure. <laughs> so Even when I read the headline, I was like, this, this really seems vague, but it's kind of fun, right? So we are in draft season, and obviously, a common piece of advice that you'll read and you'll receive, even from me, from different people in fantasy circles, is Go best available, especially early in the draft, just go for talent, talent, talent. And that usually is the case. But I will say the best available strategy, it depends on two things, your league configuration and the people you're playing with. So if you play in the league that has limits on trading or one of the leagues where you just draft a team and you don't touch your team, best available is risky because then you could be leaving a position. Unmanned or you know, let's say you try to go zero goalie. Well, you can't make any pickups in the season So you're stuck with some bad goalies and you can't make any tweaks to that the entire season long So in that kind of format where you can't touch your team very much I think you want to actually pay attention and break some ties with your positional need The same thing applies if you're in a league that's just sort of I don't know a dud league or a league where people are scared of training You have to be mindful of that too when you're trying to fill out a position because I play in a league, for example, that's extremely active, if I, my main league I'm talking about, so I can go best available because I think, oh, okay, well, I need to shore up my defense later, I can talk to one of the 15 people that are super active in this league and I'll work out a trade. Throughout the season, I can do this over and over because people love to play the game and engage, but if you're in a league that's pretty casual, and you don't have that level of engagement, you're probably going to be kind of stuck with what you have. And in that case, you don't want to leave major holes in your roster coming out of the draft. You want to make sure you pay attention to every position. So just in summary, pay attention to the style of league and who you're playing with.
0: Okay, I like that. It's time for our guest, and it's a returning guest.
1: It is. We're very happy to bring back our buddy, Don Luchitian, to talk, of course, fantasy hockey, but also his favorite, Taylor Swift okay we are very pleased to bring back one of our pals going back to our hockey news days on the show our buddy from the athletic national nhl writer dom lustician dom it's great to have you back and i feel like this is a big moment in my mind it's a big moment for you because i think you were the original swifty among hockey reporters and now just with the way things are blowing up you're ahead of your time we are going to get to taylor swift eventually but first just how are you doing my friend
2: uh not too bad i actually saw taylor swift uh saw the airs tour in pittsburgh this summer so definitely a highlight of my entire life because of how close i was i somehow managed to catch front row right at the diamond and it was incredible she was she was right there she was like five feet away from me and i she became a real person then um i don't know if i was the original swifty i know sarah Cibian has been in her corner for a while. Sarah there, met Taylor Swift at the Reputation Tour. So she definitely gets some credit there. Alison Lucan as well, big Swifty, a lot of Swifties, but it's definitely become more popular for sure.
1: For sure. it's crazy to think even just the seat that you had for that show, I feel like even just months later, that would be worth about, I don't know, $90,000. <laughs> um, so Dom, let's talk a little fantasy first, okay? Before we get to the good stuff. So I'm curious for you because you're someone who, I think you're known for your conviction. You have strong opinions backed up by a lot of research and you stick to them and you're willing to dig your heels in and say X or Y about a certain player. So is there anyone last season that changed your mind and surprised you? And are you now in that player's corner and actively trying to draft them?
2: Yeah, I don't know if conviction is the right way to put it in the sense that I go what you mean, where if a player is not good right now, I will be not afraid to say it, but I feel like my mind is a bit more malleable where if I come into new information, I'll be like, okay, yes, my mind has changed. I've seen enough, I've been convinced. And I think the the best example of that is obviously Tage Thompson, who last year going into the season The vibes were good, but I probably wouldn't have touched him because he looked like a surefire regression candidate. He has never shown that level of scoring before. Uh, On a shitty percentage wasn't something that looked sustainable, but Tage is Tage. The vibes are immaculate, and now he looks like a surefire, like top 20 fantasy player, and I have zero doubts about him in that way, just the way he the way he does things is so unique and special and what a player.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's hard to find a guy like him in the NHL today. Uh, So let's say you're starting your own fantasy league today. What is the ideal league configuration for your own fantasy league?
2: It is not the standard fantasy league, which I despise. And I think it's the reason why a lot of people do their own thing and change things up. Um, I've had, a fantasy league with my buddies since like high school and we've always been tweaking it but we've had this one format for the last I think seven or so years and I think it works really well um we used to be a points league so whoever had the most points in the year one and that became really boring after probably December <laughs> <laughs> yeah. usually the top guy like ran away with it that's the annoying part so head-to-head was the way we changed that but we stuck with points rather than categories. I think categories in hockey is a terrible way to do things. I think it makes categories that shouldn't be equal, equal. I think the standardized ones have hits. Do they have hits? I don't know if standardized, but maybe they do these days, yeah. Blocks, plus minus hits, all these trash categories that (laughs) should not be equal to goals and assists. And and makes players like brady kachuk top 10 fancy players when he's really good now but to be this category monster it doesn't make sense and i think with points you can weight things based on how important they are so goals and assists naturally should be worth more than a hit worth more than plus minus worth more than a shot even um the other thing is that in standardized points leagues they have goals worth more than assists which is not something i generally agree with so that's one change that i made in my own league where goals and assists are equal and playmakers aren't slighted just because they put the puck on someone's stick rather than in the net um but those are the two major things and the way to keep it simple in my league is that anything important is worth three and everything that is sort of less is 0.5 so goals assists wins goals against are three goals against would be minus three for goalies obviously and then Mm -hmm. shots and saves are 0.5 and it works out pretty good the goalies are a little volatile from game to game but like it works out and that's sort of the the appeal is that there is a bit of random variation where a lesser team does have a a chance if it comes down to goaltending
1: Okay, that's a pretty interesting configuration. I can see the logic because I'm definitely, I'm all for trying to create systems that uh, accurately represent real life. So in fantasy football, I play in a league that's super flex and we have six points for passing touchdowns because we want Patrick Mahomes to be the top scoring player. We want Josh Allen to be the second. Like they are the two best football players in the world, give or take, right? So I definitely agree with the philosophy.
2: You said super flex and it immediately reminded me of the most important thing in my league. Um, super flex you can have two quarterbacks is that correct
1: correct and you can start two quarterbacks at
2: once absolute insanity me not real complete fantasy land and it is the number one problem i have with standard leagues is starting two goalies i think it's so ludicrous because that would (laughs) never ever happen so we have one starter starting goalie slot it's decreases the importance of goalies i think in in normal leagues they usually like there's a run in the second round you need your starter or whatever and because of how random they are your entire draft can fall apart just because you don't have goaltending and you may be wasted a slot in the second round one goalie just makes sense with how hockey has always been played i correct me if i'm wrong i don't think there's ever been a time where two goalies were just hanging out in that and stopping pucks together and you <laughs> that, and then, that movie you,
1: that fairly brothers movie stuck on you that would be the only time
2: that that'd be it right and i think with how teams are going to tandems the platoons and not having these workhorse starters it makes sense to only have one guy for fantasy because the the pool of elite guys is so thin that if you're on a 12 team league you're rostering 24 goalies there probably aren't Like fifteen goalies worth starting night to night. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I can see the logic. I I, the other way, I still think if you start one with quarterbacks and goalies, you totally devalue the position. But I can see, I can see the the logic for sure. Uh, I wanted to ask you about. The idea of your guy so for me it's like for example in fantasy drafts this year i'm trying to get evan bouchard everywhere i think he's just going to go to the moon i'm curious do you have someone that you're targeting right now that you just feel like you need to get in every draft
2: that you do i want to preface this by saying that i never prepare for a podcast ever but i look at your questions <laughs> like oh i gotta prepare for this this is the <laughs> one question i didn't have to at all uh evan bouchard is, the guy i think he is so under drafted right now he we saw what tyson berry did for the edmonton oilers power play evan bouchard is a lot better and he showed that as soon as he got the starting power play one job last season i think he had 36 points in 33 games between the regular season playoffs and it seems like they're gonna dial up his minutes at 5-1-5. this is gonna be his breakout season and like i think 60 points is like genuinely his floor on that power play it's that power play is absolutely disgusting um because you said bouchard i'm gonna throw out some other names because i feel like that's the obvious one um i think it's really hard in general to find a defenseman that can play power play one and actually put up points i think that's what makes them so underdrafted and difficult to get so i think finding a sleeper there is good and i like the i like the ducks options where i don't think camp baller is very good and i think they have two rookies who might steal that job and olin zellweger and padelman Jukov, whoever makes a team i i generally think could steal that job and you can probably get them with your last pick or whatever and aside from them I think Carter Hague and Brand Hagel didn't get a lot of power play time last season and still productive this season. They should be on power play one. Those are good guys to get. I have none of them
0: in my league. I
2: got Zellweger off waivers, but the other ones I, I didn't get.
0: Well, Zellweger's going to pay off very well one day. I'm very confident in him. Uh, all right, so those are guys that are more underrated players. Talk about a, a top 100 player that you were avoiding like the plague this year. We've had Mark Stone's name thrown around. I'm, I'm assuming that's maybe your pick, but what, what would you choose?
2: That is uh, one of them. Um, the first note I put was most goalies, but especially Linus Allmark. Um, <laughs> yeah. So Boston's going to be much worse this year. You have Jeremy Swayman probably stealing starts. You had Allmark not even playing 50 games last year to begin with, and he's being, I think he's like the 30th goalie or something. Again, a flaw with the two goalie system is you're overdrafting guy like Allmark. I see, I don't know if this is still the case, but I, I saw Mark Andre Fleury at one point was top 100 ADP. Sure, absolutely. Why not? Um, <laughs> and these are the problems with the two goalie system. And even in those leagues, you're doing yourself a disservice drafting Allmark that high and Flurry probably at all. But Aside from that, I think, other than Stone, the big one for me is Tyler Tofoley. I think a lot of people are really high on him because he's going to the Devils. He's going to play with Jack Hughes. That's all very exciting. I don't think he sniffs power play one, and I think that is a huge detriment to his overall scoring ability, especially if you're in a league where power play points are a category and matter. Like He's going to be great at 5-5, five five, great in that way. I think he's maybe 6th or 7th on the power play depth chart and that should hurt his production a, a meaningful way
1: mm-hmm. you've taken me on a roller coaster because one of my keepers is carter for hague hey! and one of my keepers is tyler to oh so i don't know how to feel how, how many keepers do you have uh, in my league it's depending on how far you go so if you make the final or better you get two keepers if you make the playoffs you get three and if you miss the playoffs you get four but I went for it, like I I went all in. All my players were expiring deals, so I have the I have terrible keepers. My keepers are Carter Verhag, Tyler Toffoli, and Jacob Truba. It's it's bad. <laughs> I'm, start, I'm starting over. Yeah, it's gonna be bad. Jeez. It's gonna be bad this year. Be starting over
2: for a while. Oh my god. Oh
1: yeah, I'm going full tank. I'm actually excited to try like doing a full tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Dom, I was talking to we had Dauber on last week, and mm-hmm. I feel like this is a weird year. You can correct me if you disagree, but I feel like. There's a clear one-two in drafts. It's McDavid-Drycephal, mm-hmm. but after that, there's a. I think you can make an argument for, I don't know, eight different players as the number three overall pick. So I'm curious for you, who do you rank as number three?
2: Yeah, and I think the reason for that is all those guys have different reasons to be number three and different reasons to not be number three at all. That starts with Nathan McKinnon, who, by fantasy points per game, will be number three. Will he play... 75 70 games who knows same thing with austin matthews where you probably expect to bounce back towards 50 goals towards 100 points towards getting all these shots but he also has those injury issues and we also saw what his floor was last season where there's a bit of a risk matthew kachuk is up there but first two months his top defenders meet gustav Worsling and then Oliver and larson it's bad and uh-huh. it might be a lot harder to generate offense for the first two months power play might not be as good he might not be 100 percent healthy himself after the playoffs so he's uh he's a tough one david pasternak i mean we know what not playing with a good center is is going to look like and it probably doesn't mean he probably means he doesn't get to 100 points again but He's this transcendent talent that maybe he does. There's just risk there. So those are the the options for me. I would probably go with Matthews just for you want to get one of your favorite players at number three. Why not? He's there. But the choice is probably still McKinnon.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. Uh, so I have my own opinions on this, but you deal with people from every fan base. Every time you put out – anything you look at the comments and it gets entertaining so which fan base is the most insufferable
2: it like it changes all the time and it depends on where that fan base is more than where you are or what you're saying if this fan base hasn't had success in a while and they're expecting it, they're going to feel a little on edge when you say anything otherwise. And I think the two big ones for me right now, because I've just felt the heat from both of them, is Vancouver and Detroit. I actually think Vancouver is probably going to take a step this year, but we did our player tiers project and had Quinn Hughes a little lower than some Vancouver fans wanted and they seem to have a citywide meltdown over that, which is fine and understandable. But as someone from an NHL team messaged me afterwards, they're like, you have these two amazing players. Why is your team always getting 83 points? <laughs> yeah. Maybe they're not as good as you think they are, and maybe they're still great, but maybe... One of them isn't quite a franchise player yet. And that's the key. It's yet. They're still young. Quinn Hughes can going to get there. We saw Pedersen's massive leap last year. It's okay to say, I'm not buying it just yet. I'm trying to be safe and sorry. There's still some issues. And there are just so many fantastic defensemen that maybe you'd rather take than Quinn Hughes right now. And to them, this was the most indefensible thing you could ever say about their shining beacon of hope and if they want to be like that they want to be like that that is okay part of the point of being fan is to be a fanatic be a little delulu and canucks fans know that all too well right now detroit i'm just very skeptical of the eiser plan i don't think they're in a good position at all and they seem to think otherwise in that having a non-elite core that still has all these question marks while improving and moving away from the place in the draft where you get those types of players and building through free agency is fine, then sure, if you want to believe that, have at it. I don't.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're with you. We were earlier on the show. We were kind of uh, taking some shots at Detroit as well. I don't think the Iser plan's working. For me, it's the Islanders always because their roster construction is so is so stagnant. Like, their fourth line is 10 years old. Like, come on. <laughs> so I, they get mad at me. I'm like, I'm sorry. You didn't – like, your team is untouched. And then the Oilers, of course, because there's this sort of obsession of, with Toronto from Edmonton. I don't know why. And I got heat for one year <laughs> because in the preseason, I said, like, after a game, Leon Draisaitl's body language, like during an interview, I was there. Like he was kind of dismissive, and it felt I was like, "Oh, it feels like we're already in February." And then all year long, was like, "Oh, you're a body language expert, oh doctor, how does his body language look today?" And that was <laughs> lasted right. for an entire season. So fair enough. That was well played, Oilers <laughs> Nation. I, I, I respected. That's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, so Don, we've kept you longer than we promised. So we're gonna we're gonna end with this last question. We have another one that just in my notes it says Usher Super Bowl. WTF, we're going to cut that one. <laughs> oh, <Yeah. right? laughs> Swift. So, okay, this is a question I've been asking just anyone who will listen, really. I don't know why. Uh, but to me, I've been fascinated with the level of fame Taylor Swift has achieved. And I mean specifically in the last six months, like basically tied to the Eras tour, Eras tour, Eras tour. I forget. You'll, you'll correct me. Um, but to me, I'm wondering if this is now the most famous most transcendent musician since the peak of let's say Michael Jackson in the early 1990s. I don't know if there's any comparison. And I'm curious, do you agree? Yes or no. And why?
2: Absolutely. Uh, I feel like i heard stories that Michael Jackson couldn't go to like Lakers games because he was bigger than the Lakers game. And we saw that happen, uh, on Sunday where she went to the Kansas city chiefs game. And the story was, her at the game and not so much the game obviously they're playing the chicago bears so the game didn't really matter but you see the nfl changing their bio you see all these brands getting in on the action i just like she is the industry right now she is the moment and i don't know exactly how or why it happened but i think the fact that she doesn't really have any competition in terms of people on the same level in pop right now. I think a lot of people have sort of fell off. Drake has fell off. Um, the weekend has sort of fell off in his popularity, especially after the Idol. Oh, and man. there's no one, no one new that is really taking, uh, taking the mantle other than Olivia Rodrigo, And I think even like she just, it's just impossible to match what Taylor is. And I think with Folklore and Evermore, people started taking her more seriously as an artist and then going back into her discography and seeing that this is actually like a very good songwriter. She has very good albums. It's not just what we were told to believe about this artist, that it was just this frilly music for teenage girls. And there are obviously still people who believe that. But when you go back in the work, like it is, strong work and it's strong and consistently good work and the pandemic helped with that and she brings that all together with the Eras tour where she's performing all these songs from her entire discography tickets become impossible to get because there's so many new fans and it becomes sort of this place to be where we live in a social media culture where everyone wants to be showing up and being at the place to be and Taylor Swift became that place and it sort of spiraled and bloomed from there where we have people tracking her every move and waiting outside weddings to see her which is I think just insane because if you listen to her lyrics she says hey I feel weird when I have crowds of people it's scary but she has a documentary that most of them have probably seen where she leaves her apartment and there are people like waiting outside and she's like yep that's normal and it's scary or whatever and i i feel bad because she's like she obviously doesn't have a normal life anymore to this level of fame but i mean i think it's deserved with how how strong her discography is
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think you've nailed it and I, I always think about the lyrics a monster on a hill too big to hang out, slowly lurching toward your favorite city. I always thought that's what it meant, that she just Mm -hmm. can't appear anywhere without it being a thing. And we see Travis Kelsey, his jersey sale went up 400% Mm -hmm. in 24 hours. So the effect is just, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dom, this is awesome. Always great insights and great banter with you. We always appreciate it. And uh, before we let you go, just tell us what you have cooking on The Athletic right now.
2: Uh, Right now we're going through season previews, so looking at how good every team is uh plus like one big question that each team has um so relevant to what we just talked about one of those was is it make or break season for the eyes plan? and i think a lot of fans took that as is it make or break to make the playoffs and that's not the question is is it make or break to show that this is a plan that is going to work and that means getting the right players into the right positions to showing that this is this plan has a future um so there are a lot of questions like that pertaining to next year and beyond and just overall looking at the season ahead and projecting what what each team will do and how good each player is which is always fun and always good to avoid the comments during those days
1: yes for sure i'll be reading as i always do always great stuff from you dom we appreciate it and uh we'll see you at a leafs game soon i'm sure
2: absolutely yeah first time they play a good team i'll be there awesome thanks buddy
1: great stuff from dom as always and steven okay next up we're gonna talk prospects and this is a prospect i've been really excited about since the middle of last season when he just basically got the did the equivalent of just getting a star when you're playing super mario 3 and just started just running rampant through everything in his path Brant Clark, Los Angeles Kings defenseman. I hope he makes the team. But what are your thoughts, and why do you want to talk about him today?
0: Well, I always want to talk about Brant Clark. He's one of my favorite. You know, I really completely forgot to talk about him last week. We're talking about my favorite prospects of all time because watching what he was able to do with the Don Mills Flyers, he had 113 points in 2018-19. Now, it was helpful that the two guys he mainly passed to were Shane Wright and Brandon Ottman. That team was just downright dominant. Um, But when it came to Brant Clark, he was the one who was creating so much that offense. So it didn't surprise me that... When he went to the OHL last year, Barry Colts after winning the World Juniors and put up 23 goals and 61 points in 31 games. Unbelievable how good he was. Just an unstoppable force. He was over a point per game in the World Juniors, and going back and watching his his, Bear, or his Ontario Reign games in the AHL, I thought he looked pretty competent there. So, I'm a big fan of what Brand Clark's going to be able to do. Now, uh, I do understand that. It's going to be tough for him to make this team. Jordan Spence has the inside track right now. He's got a bit more pro experience, looks very good, uh, is deserving of a a spot up. Clark, you know, you can throw him in Ontario again, give him that full season, maybe give him a half season and see what happens. But to me, he's good enough to be in the NHL right now. And I think if you've got a deeper league, if you've got a If you got a a dynasty league and there's an opportunity at clark you're getting a guy who will be playing power play one minute one day a guy who can control the game offensively i think you know there's some defensive shortcomings but i do expect him to be able to put 50 points up a season and you're going to be wanting to see more defensemen do that over time as guys like Kale mccarr and adam fox continue to take over the league but when it comes to Brant Clark, there's been so much hype for his offensive game for a long time. And it's not like he's just getting assists. Like he knows how to shoot the puck. He, he had 23 goals. Yeah, you, you would expect that out of a guy who was, you know, 19, 20 this year, but he wasn't an overage player, but he's putting up overage player numbers. Mm-hmm. There's a reason he's so well-regarded. So I'm a huge believer in Brian Clark as an offensive defenseman. And, you know, it doesn't matter what he does defensively because those don't really matter in fantasy hockey. It matters what he does with the puck, and he does great things with the puck. So uh, as the Kings continue to improve and hopefully become this long-term contender, Clark is going to be a big reason why.
1: Yeah, I'm with you all the way. I'm really excited about him as a fantasy prospect, and he's someone I'd be willing to reach for if he makes the team. Uh, and I think it is only a matter of time. Dynasty format, absolutely, go for it. For me, I just, I wish he was a left-handed shot because there's so much more room to grow on that depth chart. The Kings are just rammed on the right side, and even if Clark makes the team, there's still Drew Doughty to contend with on the right side for a key offensive role for power play one, and so on and so on. So I hope, I could I could envision a scenario in which they try him uh, on the left side on a power play or something like that because he is a threat with his shot as well. So hopefully, but either way, just he's someone that, Bears very close monitoring because of his significant upside. Uh, Steven, let's talk best bets now, the best bet of the week. We're still in futures season because I'm not betting on preseason games. I'm too (laughs) snub for that. Like I said, okay, get that preseason out of here. Uh, Even though there's probably good value to be found in preseason bets because there's more uh, variance in terms of the results. But I digress. Uh, I'm looking at futures right now, and I've been checking out what Botano has to offer. And one that really intrigues me is the Buffalo Sabres. I think I said savers, but you get the idea. Savers. Plus 300 to reach 100 points this season. Uh, Every year, I talk about this every season, there is that one team that reaches the critical mass of talent and they blow through their potential. Last year we saw it with the New Jersey Devils. They were one of the worst teams in the league and they were a top three team in the league. Buffalo, I think, is knocking on the door of that explosion. They came so close last year, they missed the playoffs by a single point. They were a top three offense in the league. And so we know they can score like an elite team already. And I think... The defensive side of the puck is going to improve. Rasmus Dalin, Owen Power, and Samuelson, of course, they're going to keep getting better. And the goaltending should improve too, especially if Devin Levi can stick if he's ready. So I think that the Sabres have what it takes. They're going to keep improving, and they're only nine points away in terms of their, their total from last year. So can they win four or five more games? I absolutely think they can. I don't think it's out of the question they could go bananas and suddenly win the Atlantic division because the top of that division is starting to sag a little bit. If you look at Boston, if you look at Tampa Bay, and even the Leafs, they've changed their roster a lot. So we don't know 100% that they're as good. So there's there's room for Buffalo to climb. Like They could finish as low as 7th. They could finish as high as 1st. But either way, I like them to break through, end that playoff streak at 12 years of the playoff drought, and get
0: 100 points. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm, again, this is why it's more of a long shot thing. But I'm not expecting 100 points. But I'm expecting... A nice improvement this year. Obviously, I think there's still going to be the teetering of the fact that there's so many young guys in here, and you're having to throw them in and see what happens. You got a couple unproven goalies here, but I like this potential for this team to be a very. I'm so excited about this group's long term future here. Finally, after so many years of nothing, I don't think they're going to hit hundred this year. So I'm going to say I don't like. You know what? It's bet worth taking because. We just know that there's this boom-bust potential with this group, but I'm not going to predict that they're going to hit 100. So that's it for that. I guess I want to take some questions.
1: Yeah, let's do some questions. And if anyone's listening, we've had uh, quite a deluge lately of questions. So if you didn't hear one right on the air uh, in this episode, we're still
0: saving them all. They'll probably appear on the next episode. So keep listening, please. All right. First question here comes from Andreas. In the ninth to twelfth round, based on Yahoo ADP, do right-wingers or D have a higher VOR?
1: Yeah. So VOR for the uninitiated value over replacement. So VORP as well is usually the, the term that's used, VORP, value over replacement player. So it's when you're trying to decide what position to target and you're trying to figure out how much value does this player have over what you could find on waivers. So for example, Someone like a Cale McCarr would have an enormous value over replacement player because of the quality of defenseman you'd be able to find on waivers after a draft. He's almost like a cheat code. Connor McDavid would have the biggest value over replacement in the league. This is a really interesting question. Uh, to me, based on this juncture of the draft, so 9 to 12, so if you were in a 12-team draft, so 12th round, would be, that would be up to pick 144, right? Um, I think in this stage, right-wingers have a higher value over replacement. Because to me, the defensemen right now that have really high value over replacement, that would be the early rounds, like I said, Kael McCarr, someone like Erasmus Dahlin, for example. But when you get to the middle rounds, it's kind of fickle. It's like if I ask you right now, Stephen, who's going to give more fantasy value this year, Seth Jones or Jacob Chikrin? It's sort of out there, right? You have a lot of defensemen in that tier. So you don't necessarily know. You might be getting, okay, I think I I have a good pick in Jacob Chikrin. But then on waivers last year, you found Vince Dunn. So in that case... In this tier of the draft, the value over a placement for a defenseman wasn't actually high. You could find a Vince done on waivers in most leagues, mm-hmm. right? But right wing at this juncture of the draft, you're still just outside the top 100. Uh, it's low key, kind of a scarce position. Left wing is more common because you have a lot of a lot of the players that have dual eligibility, center and left wing. For some reason, the guys that are dual players usually it's center and left wing, not right wing. You have more of the natural shooters on the right wing, and because of that, a it's a scarcer position. B, you can find goal scores at this stage of the draft. So you might be able to find someone who can bury 30, 35 goals this late, and that's going to be hard to find on the waiver wire. So right wing, I'd say at this stage, around 9 to 12, higher value over replacement.
0: All right. That is a very like specific question. So you got to give them a shout-out. A lot of the questions, we get are more like wide-ranging. That is a very specific one. Uh, Andre asks, Rupee Hintz or Robert Thomas? Points only, no positions.
1: Yeah, I guess in points only, this is reasonably close. In any other format, I'm not a big Robert Thomas fan for for fantasy because he's sort of a one-category player. Um, But even in points only, I still think it's fairly easy to go Rupe Hintz. He just has a lot more talent around him. Uh, And he can score more goals, so he can get points in more ways. He's not relying on his teammates to finish his chances. He had 99 points in 92 games, including the playoffs last year. So to me, I put Hintz in a higher tier overall than Robert Thomas and I didn't really have to think too long to make that answer.
0: Okay, uh, I just got a random friend request on Snapchat for the Minnesota Wild. That is really random. <laughs> um, okay, Guillaume asks, uh, may I ask you who will have the biggest impact between Panarin and Kaprizov in a league where we have PP points, hits, and blocks? Somewhere out there, my daughter's laughing at PP points. Oh, I am too. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: to me, this one's not close. It's Kaprizov by a mile. He's a superstar in his prime. He's give or take a first round value. Artemi Panarin turns 32 in October. His scoring rate has started to decline the last couple of years. So aging is starting to take effect. His prime is ending and he's pretty much a zero in the hits and blocks category. Kaprizov's not a beast in hits and blocks, but he's not a zero. He does a little bit more better score, younger, easy, easy choice.
0: Yep. And he has more hair than Panarin too. (laughs) decided to shave his hair this summer. Unrecognizable. I was like, who is this guy? I I, I... truly did not recognize him at (laughs) all. (laughs) <laughs> uh, Shay Hobson asks Will Ryan Reeves play enough this year in Toronto To be fantasy relevant in the league with hits I gotta say extremely Uneventful first exhibition game for him.
1: <laughs> Yeah he's gonna save those Fists he doesn't want to go full David Clarkson And get himself suspended in the preseason
0: um, <laughs> Oh yeah yeah.
1: I still take credit for cursing David Clarkson I wrote that story hockey news cover with the bleed and the and Scar bleeding blue I, I feel like it cursed him um, Yeah so Ryan Reeves I don't know about the playoffs, but in fantasy, we're talking regular season. So, yes, he'll play plenty in the regular season. Uh, in terms of his hit rate, he has one of the highest on a per 60 minute basis. He's in the 98th percentile. So, he loves to lay the body. Uh, he might only play 90 or nine, nine minutes a game for maybe 70 games because he's going to be a scratch here and there, probably. But that would be enough to get you 200 hits. Um, but if you're looking for offense to go with the hits, maybe 10 points, maybe 15 points, not much more, but I think
0: you can safely expect 200 hits at least. Look at the stats. Like he does have the ability to put pucks in the net. He does know how to get some points, but it's always limited, but you know, he's not like those guys that you'd see in the two thousands that would get 300 pound minutes and they had one assist and it was a secondary assist on a line change. Like (laughs) that that never happened. So, uh, all right. So we'll cap off the questions there again, save some more. We got, we got some great questions. Uh, coming through the next couple weeks but it's time for starting lineup and we're both from the Toronto area Uh, I actually there's so many things to do but I have a hard time nailing down like what are the best things to do uh, in Toronto that are not sports related like if someone asks me like where should I go what should I do I can't give great answers so let's hear what your answers are
1: Yeah, I tried to go for a hybrid of not too touristy and not too hipstery. I wanted something between the two. So something that's, you're still doing some sightseeing, but you're not just doing all the most obvious rat racer type of sightseeing as well. So honorable mentions, CN Tower, you can climb it if you want to. The ROM, the ROM is good, but I don't think it's really different from any other museum in terms of how much it stands out. Casa Loma is a pretty cool place to go, especially if you do the escape room. Those are the honorable mentions. Number six, I have St. Lawrence Market. Uh, it's, I, as far as I know, it's the largest food market of its kind indoor in the entire world. Uh, if you're a foodie, you can just find absolutely anything in there. It just goes on and on and on every type of food there. There's really cool kind of street food. You can have like pea meal, bacon sandwiches, stuff you can get for lunch, but also just to do, to, to assemble stuff for a dinner, anything like that, just to explore, just meet the people in there. It's, it's really cool. It's very similar to Chelsea Market in New York, but it's a lot bigger. Uh, number five, I just have to see a show. Even if if sort of Broadway musical type of performances are not your thing, Toronto, it's one of the top three cities in the world with New York and London in terms of the quality and the scale of show you're going to see. So if you want to go check out something, whether it's Hamilton, whether it's Wicked, whatever's playing at any given time, you're going to get top quality. You're going to get Broadway level quality if you see a show in Toronto. Uh, number four, distillery district slash ghost tour. So not just going to the distillery, but they have a really cool ghost tour there. A lot of the distillery is built on... Old courthouses where there used to be hangings and there's lots of stories about ghost sightings and all that kind of stuff. So if you go in the fall, and there are obviously some great places to eat around there too, but the ghost tour is really fun. Kind of spooky. Um, number three, Ripley's Aquarium. So this one is more of an obvious tourist place, but it is really fun. I think what really makes it stand out is they have a ceiling that is basically part of the aquarium. So because of that, you have sharks fly, like swimming right over your head. And they have multiple sharks in there. Uh, and just the experience is really cool. And they do it with a conveyor belt. So you don't have to worry about not getting a good look at the sharks. They keep people moving, but not too fast. So there's when you get to the shark, the shark area, you stand on this human conveyor belt. And it, it moves you at a good pace, but not too fast either. So it'll take like 20 minutes. And you get a good look at the sharks, but people aren't hogging the experience as well. So it's a really fun place to go check out lots of different aquatic life. Uh, Number two, just if you're a foodie, if you want real good food and not like tourist trap type of food, like you don't want to go to a place like Scatabouche outside the Rogers Center, I recommend just going to Ossington Street. Ossington, from Queen to, let's say, Dundas. There are just so many good independent restaurants there. Every type of food you can imagine. There are cool places to go out, like clubs and stuff. that are not like just more, more just like, I don't know what the word would be, hipstery vibe, but more... Um, Places where you can go and dance and hear kind of older school music as well but mainly just the eating experience you just can't miss you can every step you take you'll hit an amazing restaurant there Uh, and number one is the toronto international film festival of course it was weird this year because of the strike but the tiff experience is really amazing you can get a pass and go and see a whole bunch of different movies and you will get exposure to movies that you never would have discovered discovered otherwise it's a really fun experience especially if you do the multi-movie pass it's something that's very uniquely toronto as well and it comes every year so those would be my top 6 things to do in toronto that don't involve sports
0: i have not done a good majority of those but the ripley's aquarium i really recommend and the distillery district you got to go at christmas time that's when it's like really cool that's when it's <laughs> at its best um I, I lived in Queen's Key, right by the by the water, right by uh, Scotia Bank Arena, and I always said, "Oh, I'll go to the Toronto Island one day." I lived there for three and a half years, never won once.
1: <laughs> oh, <You know>, Toronto! <laughs> yeah, that was one that I almost put on the list as well. It, it's pretty cool taking the ferry across, but kind of once you're there, you're like, "All right." Cool. There
0: isn't that much to do there, but it's still it's it's fun to do for a day. When I looked up like what the biggest things to do there, number one was Nudist Beach. I'm like, all right, that's kind of weird. <laughs> yes, that's so, that's there.
1: And there's yeah. rumors that there's a baseball park there where like Babe Ruth hit his first pro home run. I, I think that's where they built the, the Nudist Beach.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: All right. That's it. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a good one, Stephen. Good starting line. Hopefully, we've helped someone who's planning a trip to Toronto. It's a fun time of year to go, especially with the Blue Jays maybe in the playoffs. That's it for this week's episode. Next week, we're going to continue the draft prep, and I think it's going to be a special episode where we're going to be going through some rankings with some other fantasy experts and doing some little battles about our ranking discrepancies. Should be a lot of fun, and we will see you then, everybody.